Hi, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so excited to have Dr. Paul DeChant with us, and we're going to talk not only about his book, Preventing Physician Burnout, but we're going to talk about that work as much as we can and how that how we think about that work. Uh, Dr. DeChant, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If you would tell our audience a little bit about your background uh, and about some of the work you've been involved in. Sure. And I'd like to thank uh, you, Skip and Jake, for having me on. I always welcome the opportunity to share my perspective and what I see around the country as through my own experience as well. You know, I got into this work. I started as a family doc, practiced for 25 years, ended up getting into leadership roles because when things didn't go well in my own office, I wanted the ability to fix them. So I spoke up. And then that led me to getting put on committees and chairing committees and kind of working my way up through different leadership positions. I've worked at uh, uh, the Palo Alto Medical Clinic in uh, in the Palo Alto and Fremont area in California. Actually spent eight years as a family physician and ER doc at the base of the ski hill in Breckenridge, Colorado, and uh, four years at Geisinger, and then came back to the California, San Francisco Bay area Palo Alto asked me to help start up some new offices for them. After a few years of that, I got uh, chosen to be CEO at the Sutter Gould Medical Foundation. This is a 300 physician group uh, based in Modesto and Stockton, the Central Valley of California. For five years there as a leader, um, I really got inspired. I had an opportunity to make real change. And uh, we, on a theme of returning joy to patient care, made a major transformation in our management system and culture. At the end of that time, we actually got recognized by Consumer Reports and the California Health Information System as the top overall rated group among 170 groups across the state of California. And that we got that recognition two years in a row. We didn't even know they were going to be doing that survey. One day, one of our doctors came in carrying Consumer Reports and saying, hey, look at this. We were all pleasantly surprised. We also rose our uh, Provider Satisfaction on American Medical Group Association Provider Satisfaction Survey from P45 to P87 over that same time period. So we knew we were onto something. And then I left there and actually got into consulting to help health system leaders and other organizations around the country who are pursuing these similar goals. Uh, working with Simpler Consulting at first, they're a lean consulting firm. Actually, I hired them to help us with our transformation. They got acquired into IBM Watson Health. So I spent a few years with IBM Watson Health. That was pretty interesting. And for the last three years or so, I've been on my own as an independent consultant, working with some groups, but just doing a lot of connecting. Uh, And my work focuses on the principles that were in our book about preventing uh, physician burnout, which really are that uh, at the core concept, uh, burnout's a manifestation in an individual of dysfunction in the system. The problem with burnout is the workplace, not the workers. And we'll always need support to be more resilient, but if that's all we're doing, we're not nearly doing enough. So that's where I've come from and where I'm at now. Thank, thank you so much for, you know, that's an incredible background. And, and I love the book, Preventing Physician uh, Burnout. Um, and I want to talk, you know, mainly focus this conversation on it and, and what you covered in there. 
So maybe you could just start. Tell us how big of a problem position burnout is. <laughs> well, we all know it's a big problem. It, it's somewhere over the last eight years, it's ranged from you know, burnout surveys. So somewhere between 40 and 90 percent of physicians are burned out, depending on who's doing the survey, how the questions are asked, all those things. The kind of gold standard for measuring this has been done through the Mayo Clinic uh, using the Maslach Burnout Inventory. And over the last eight to 10 years now, we've seen that initially start around um, around 37% increase up to a, a little over 50%, decreased actually just before the pandemic down to about 37%. But the last one that was just run uh, shows it's increased like to 63% now. So it's a big problem. It impacts every specialty. Certainly there's some range depending on the specialty, but even ophthalmologists and dermatologists have 30 to 40% burnout. I mean, this is specialties you wouldn't think would be yeah. impacted in that way. Bigger issue for women physicians than for men, for sure. Um, and it varies some throughout the the evolution of our careers uh, as we you know, start, whether we're just fresh in our career, mid-career or late career. Uh, but it's a it's something everybody deals with one way or another. And even nowadays, it's not just it's not just doctors. Nurses are burning out. Even administrators are burning out. It used to be back you know, in 2014, administrators had about the same burnout rate as um, the general public, where physicians were 50 percent higher. Now, the pressures on C-suite uh, administrators are equal to and we see burnout rates approaching the same as the physicians. Yeah, that's really great background. And yes, I think we've all noticed it's increased over the last few years, driven partly by the pandemic. And maybe we can dive into some of the causes in a second. But let's just define the term. What are we talking about when we talk about burnout? Yeah, so it's been become better defined. Uh, I, or, you know, the WHO through ICD-10 has described this now. It's it, it, There is a code. I can't remember the exact numbers. But it's not a pure diagnostic code, it's a contributing factor, uh, but it's described as uh, an occupational phenomenon with workplace stress that has not been adequately managed. And it manifests in three ways. Exhaustion, so, you know, we've given everything we've got, you put it all out there, you have nothing left to give. It's that kind of level of exhaustion. When we get to that point, we naturally start to protect ourselves. And so we do that, that shows up as what's called depersonalization or cynicism, distancing ourselves from our organization or distancing ourselves from our patients. And when you put those two together, we start to wonder if we're really even making a difference at all. Are we actually being efficacious in the work we do? And in some ways that that's, I think is almost the worst because that can happen in an interaction where a physician is sitting with a patient and in that very same interaction, the patient may be finding great value and the physician is wondering if they're making a difference at all. You know, you stop for a minute and think about the implications of that. It's pretty striking. Yeah. And you know, we had uh, uh, an earlier guest where we were talking about physician burnout. And, and there's this chart, if you you've probably seen it, where uh, on the X axis is like your ability to um, to manage tasks or, or your capacity to, to manage tasks, you know, we, you know, starting zero out um, you know, into affinity. And then on the y-axis was, um, um, was, was stress related to those tasks. And so, you know, in the beginning, 
or at the top left hand part of the graph uh, was burnout, where you had very little ability to cope with and handle uh, the demands of your day and a high amount of, of tasks being put on you. And at the bottom right was you have was actually what they call bored out, where it was um, you were, you know, had a ton of capacity, but you were given very little to do. So it was kind of the, the exact opposite. Um, but we're finding ourselves in that top left um, part of the graph more often where, you know, you're just getting thrown so much at you all at once and you have don't have enough time to to cope with it or you don't even have the ability to to handle the things that are coming your way. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, oh, that's absolutely right. Um, there's, you know, one of the there's a um, a great person, uh, Dr. Michael Privatera. Uh, I don't know if you've met him yet or not. If not, we should definitely have him on this podcast. He's a psychiatrist who uh, recently retired from University of Rochester, but focuses on the science of human factors engineering, and looks at the fact that what he says in, in a nutshell is the jobs become undoable. The demands of the job are so great that no person can actually do the job effectively. And our work is to fix that, to make the demands of the job doable, to redesign the way work is done so that it's so that it's actually doable. And that uh, that's at the core of a lot of what we do. You know, the the one of the there's a model out of Stanford WellMD on professional fulfillment. It looks at three different areas where we focus to try to help people and deal with this more effectively. The bottom third of that is resilience, which is absolutely vital because we so many people are so stressed. We need that support, but it's also absolutely insufficient because if that's all we do is provide that support, we're never fixing the root cause of the problem. Another third of that component is practice efficiency. How do we redesign the work so that people so it is doable? And we can talk a lot about that, but there's so much opportunity there. And that's really where this whole concept of human factors engineering uh, and overwork uh, factors in. The third component is leadership. Uh, it's described in the Stanford model as cultural wellness, but I really like to think of it more as the leadership that's dedicated to uh, understanding and addressing this problem in a different way. And without that leadership, it's hard to uh, get the resources to invest in improving practice efficiency at a sufficient level to really drive transformative change because that's what we need. No, I think that's, that's really great. And um, so now, you know, I, I think we can talk a little bit more about some of the causes of burnout. Um, take us through what are the main drivers of it? Yeah, so one of the great opportunities I've had, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Christina Maslach, who created the Maslach Burnout Inventory, is a professor emerita from UC Berkeley, which is obviously here in this area. And I've gotten to know her uh, through this process. She not only identified those three key manifestations we talked about, exhaustion, cynicism, and inefficacy, but she showed how uh, there are six drivers of burnout that link to those. And the first driver is work overload, what we've just been talking about, too much to do. And they've demonstrated that she and her partner, Michael Leiter, demonstrated that those directly impact exhaustion. And most people think that's what burnout really is. I'm overloaded and I'm exhausted and I'm burned out. There's a lot there for sure. And we can't ignore it. There's a lot of opportunity to work on that. And if we do it deeply, uh, just imagine the potential to unleash uh, the opportunities that we all have as um, 
as physicians to contribute more effectively. Uh, the, the opportunity to uh, really create better work-life balance. Um, and not only that, but while we're at work to actually focus on our patient. Uh, secondly, though, there's more to burnout than just that. There's these five other drivers following that work overload is lack of control. When we're overloaded, we start to feel like we lose a sense of control, which is one of the core values that we honor. We look for when we join the profession. Autonomy is highly valued for us. And even our patients are looking for that. They want us to be able to take control when there's an emergency. It's one of those intangible rewards I think of as something we look for in the profession. Insufficient rewards, the third driver of burnout, uh, people being acknowledging you for good work you've done, uh, as well as being respected as a professional. Uh, and I find one of the other rewards I certainly found in, in healthcare is collegiality. You know, there's so many great uh, doctors and nurses and people to just be friends with, as well as to work with and collaborate with. And breakdown of community is the fourth driver of burnout in so many ways. You know, we it's often now doctors are either inpatient only or outpatient only. And even when we're together in the same room, quite often everyone is simply engaged directly with that computer in front of them rather than with the people beside them. Uh, and I, I walk into hospitals and see the hospitalists all working away in their room together. And it's like toddlers doing parallel play, rather than we haven't matured to the point where we interact and play with each other, uh, where we've lost that ability. You know, the ability to just stand at the nursing station, have a discussion with the nurses and other specialists around the station there about patient, caring for a certain patient. Somebody could write an order in a chart. It didn't even matter who wrote it. You just, somebody would co-sign it and it would be done. You know, that's that's been lost. And we have to find some ways to regain that. Uh, so collegiality, terribly important. Next is absence of fairness. Uh, am I being treated equitably uh, compared to my colleagues based on my contribution and, and not something that's based on favoritism or based on things I have no control over, such as my gender or my race or my country of origin or my sexual orientation? Uh, you know, I'm not really the best spokesperson for DEI work. I'm an old straight white guy. You know, I call myself a pale stale male. I'm not the person who's really experienced many of those challenges, but they're absolutely vital for us to address because the workforce has changed so much that somebody like me is no longer in the majority of the clinical workforce. And then lastly, conflicting values. Are my, do my personal values align with the values of the organization or am I supporting an organization that is in conflict with what I believe? Or more recently, certainly during the pandemic, um, has there been an issue around uh, moral injury related to this, where I've had to witness or participate in an activity that really violates my values, but essentially there was no choice just because of the situation that we were in. Um, so all of those those other five drivers, lack of control, insufficient rewards, breakdown of community, absence of fairness, and conflicting values, those are the things that drive that cynicism manifestation of burnout. And I think of those as the drivers that relate to how we lead. You know, do we lead in a way that empowers people to uh, to not to actually feel the opposite of those drivers, to have control, experience reward, et cetera? Or are we leading in a way that reinforces those? Uh, and quite often we do see behavior that leads to that cynicism from leaders, whether they're leading a group as small as three or four people that are just part of their team or leading a system as big as 30 or 40,000 employees. 
how we lead has direct impact on that cynicism and ultimately has an impact on everything. You talked a lot about um, lack of control, that loss of autonomy, and, you know, burnout's been an issue before the pandemic, but it's really accelerated over the last three years. And I think that piece is is one of the main drivers is why we're seeing it go up is, you know, with consolidation in healthcare, private equity, all these hospitals buying physician practices, the independent physician group doesn't really exist anymore. It's um, It does in small places, but it's, you know, Positions are getting bought left and right. Um, and then moving into the pandemic where you, what control you had is, is all of a sudden, you know, even more constrained as, you know, you get these rules put down and put out in place. And, and also you maybe don't even know what to do anymore, given that it's a new disease um, that has not been treated. So talk to us a little bit more about what you've seen with um, just trends in the industry with that consolidation, how that's affected autonomy, and what we can do. We probably can't reverse it, but how to how do we give physicians that are now in a different um, employment uh, standpoint ways to feel like they still have control? Yeah, that's so important uh, because we do see this merger and acquisition. It's I don't know where it's going to stop. You know, it was originally a hospital would buy some, you know, hire some of the local physicians and then hospitals started getting acquired into systems and now systems are acquiring or merging into other systems. So we've got systems that are located in multiple, you know, communities all around the country, all supposedly part of one system and under some general control. It can make you feel and so you really don't have any say. It can really help people lead to feeling victimized. And that's something that we can address at multiple levels, at the individual level for yourself, how you address it at your local level in your office or your care team um, or your unit that you work in in the hospital or uh, at a system level. Uh, but for most people listening to the podcast, uh, just if if you're somebody who's closer to the front lines, I think one thing that's important to realize is, yes, there are constraints you're not going to have any opportunity to deal with, but there are a lot of opportunities you have control over your day-to-day working with your colleagues that actually address those drivers. Uh, one of them is, first of all, recognizing, particularly as physicians, you're, natural, you're a leader. People are going to see you as a leader, whether you think you're a leader or not. So how you comport yourself makes a big difference. And one of the biggest, actually, I think one of the simplest and yet very impactful things is civility. Just always um, being careful, especially when you're super stressed, to maintain a level of civility and and, um, just caring about everybody you're working with and about your patients, even if they frustrated the heck out of you, which uh, believe me, I've been there plenty of times in my career um, and haven't always been uh, a paragon of virtue in how I dealt with it. But the more we can treat everyone, you know, with respect and with civility, it just breeds a positivity that allows better things to happen. Um, I don't mean at all to put the entire burden on individuals because that is absolutely unfair, but it's just something to keep in mind. Secondly, within your work unit, one of the things we found that's very effective is to have a daily huddle. Uh, And this can be for a team as small as two or three people, or it could be a group of 30 or more people who work together in one office, but you're all really con- you know, connected and working together pretty closely. Uh, but taking 15 minutes or less at the start of a day, and during that, that time, 
do four key things. One is um, appreciate people, recognize and reward them. Somebody did something nice for me or helped me out yesterday. Just acknowledge that. Uh, that addresses that insufficient reward uh, driver of burnout and starts to huddle off with, with positivity. And always somebody in a group is going to have done something for somebody else that could make that start well. Secondly, get manage the day. Uh, look at capacity versus demand. Whether it's the census or the schedule, what's the demand coming at us today versus what's our capacity in terms of staffing, equipment, and supplies? So often we don't have capacity to meet that demand. But if we start the day at least aware of that, we can build contingencies into our day to make that more manageable than it would be otherwise. So we're not surprised in the middle of the day and completely thrown off. Um, and it helps teamwork actually work much better together. So we see more community happening there. We get a better sense of control, maybe control that work overload feeling a bit. Thirdly, is looking at performance metrics. You know, we do this work and uh, or we think about what's important to ourselves or our organization we work in. We measure those values by performance on key metrics around patient experience, around quality and service, around financial performance and our own experience as the people working in the system. Uh, tracking things that happen at the front line that impact those scores that are measured system-wide is pretty important. And they can be very simple things like, um, you know, just perhaps sharing comments off a patient satisfaction survey for people to think about, um, or looking at empty slots in a schedule and thinking about how to fill those empty slots um, and trying to track that. Uh, different things like that make a huge difference. And um, so tracking even just one metric a day at a local level uh, every week, you know, one each day of the week de devoting it to one different metric. And then lastly, problem solving. Whether the metric is off track or there's something that went wrong yesterday that you don't want to have happen again the next day. Uh, those little pebble in your shoe problems, you open a drawer, something's not there, you go to the printer, it's out of paper, stuff like that. It can be very frustrating in the middle of a busy day when you're already behind and you swear you're never going to let it happen again. And then you forget about it because you're so overwhelmed. Um, putting that little but th that little pebble up on the huddle board to talk about the next morning with the team and decide, is this something we all want to work on? And if so, who's going to do come back to us with a solution? Those those doing those four things, recognition, uh, preparing for the day, checking metrics and problem solving make a huge difference in terms of bringing people together. We found that um, there's one health system we worked with that we started to do that in one office with an intent to get to six offices total in three months. By the end of the three months, there was so much pull, we were in 14 offices. And then a year a year after that, we were in 85 offices. Uh, people heard so much good about it. They found so much value in it. We saw a decrease in turnover among support staff. Um, it was just, it's very impressive. And there was a lot of concern that, well, wait a minute, you're telling me I need to be more productive, and yet you're telling me I should spend 15 minutes where I could be seeing a patient actually doing this huddle instead. And it does seem counterintuitive on face value, but the reality is there's so many problems in the daily workflow that places that huddle actually have higher productivity than places that don't, even though they're theoretically losing that one potential patient care slot. And, you know, at, at this at the higher level, there's a whole lot of other things we could talk about in terms of system system levels to address those issues. No, those are all very good ideas, and I definitely want to get to how systems can address burnout as well. Uh, but let's talk about individual factors. You mentioned that uh, females have higher rates of burnout compared to males. Um, 
and I've written your book that the more compassionate a physician is, their greater risk for burnout. Yeah, so <laughs> the, we're we're burning out the ones that uh, have the greatest uh, compassion compared to peers. So if you're the type of person that spends half a minute with each patient, uh, writes a short note, goes through 60 a day, you're less likely to burn out than the person that's spending a lot more time with their patients. Is that true? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, for the most part, that is true. Um, nothing's 100%, but that is definitely the trend. Um, I think for a couple of reasons. One is, as Maslach and Leiter first started when they were doing their work initially, they found burnout was much more prevalent in caring professions, uh, you know, whether they're counselors or caseworkers or childcare people or, you know, healthcare people. Um, secondly, uh, you know, society gender-wise is very unfair. So many women um, not only have their full-time job now, but they get home and they're, they, they do more than their fair share of the work at home as well. And so they're really having dual, you know, almost like dual careers compared to men who uh, don't pay, you know, just traditionally our society hasn't put as much burden on men. And it's another area that we really need to think about and how, look at how to change. In fact, one of the opportunities from a resilience standpoint, when you think about what an organization can do um, in that resilience component of the model of how to approach this, having not only peer support programs, which where people can find someone else to talk to, but think about how we can support people for those things that um, kind of like activities of daily living. Is there a way to make it easier to get groceries or to get childcare or to do some, take care of something else you know, have have somebody arrange, help arrange a party, a birthday party for a child, um, kind of concierge services. In fact, there are some organizations that that help support that resilience that provide those kind of services. And it can make just such a world of difference for people that are otherwise feeling fully overburdened. And when you think about the level of professionalism that a physician has, the amount of training we've gone through and the amount of expectation on us, and to think that you know, not only at work are we being doing secretarial work along with doing that high level professional knowledge work, but we're also then going home and having to do all of that other stuff um, to not be providing people higher levels of support. You know, a, a, an, exec, an executive at a large company making hundreds of millions or billions of dollars ha has someone who helps take care of a lot of those kind of things so that they can focus on that area where they bring the most value. Um, you know, those are the kind of opportunities that can really differentiate a healthcare system and make it very attractive for physicians to want to work there as opposed to a competitor. Yeah, no, I think those are really great ideas. Uh, and I, I like the idea of, of having a, a concierge service help plan birthday parties. I think a lot of us would appreciate <laughs> that, um, especially with young kids. Um, you know, one thing, I, you know, today is actually uh, match week. Um, so, you know, oh, gosh, on Saturday right. or Friday, it'll be it'll be match day where everybody will um, learn if they got into their anticipated program. But this morning they all got a letter or an email saying whether or not they matched at all. And I was saw earlier in the day that hundreds of emergency medicine um, spots went unfilled. So we're having a lot less. Um, physicians that are going to go into emergency medicine and theory is 
you know, it's one of the highest, if not the highest uh, rate of burnout of all specialties. And uh, medical students are watching um, these professionals, you know, being very cynical about uh, their job right now and not feeling like they're making a difference and getting all these additional tasks. Um, but it's a, it's a burnout, you know, we, we've talked about it and we've joked about, you know, we could just add another wellness module and we'll fix burnout. Um, but it is really an existential problem. Um, and my, my question is, you know, I love the book and I think it's got some great ideas for individuals and healthcare systems, but it's a large systemic problem across the nation that um, needs to be solved or at least addressed. Do you see anything happening at the, the national levels or you know, anything? Because really, like you've said, a lot of the reason we are burned out is the manifestation of our dysfunctional healthcare system and the demands that have got placed on on physicians and administrators and nurses and everybody else that is being burned out right now. But um, what what uh, glimmer of hope can you offer us in the future? Wow. Well, first of all, I just that I, everything you said in that question is so right on. Um, you know, and particularly in EDs, I just got uh, we just completed a project working with senior leaders in safety net hospitals in New York City and helping them connect better to their EDs and their clinicians there. Um, and, you know, the ED is, is, I think, the most challenged area right now. It, it not only is the ED the window to all of the dysfunction in society, which has only increased exponentially, but in, in order to have it work well, you've got to have capacity in the rest of the hospital to be able to discharge a patient into the hospital. And that right now, that doesn't exist. So, that, so you know, the waiting room is overwhelmed with dysfunction coming from society, the, the, but the, the halls are filled with boarders waiting to get up into this hospital because it's so uh, dysfunctional upstairs, they can't get people through. Um, and that, and so the, it all comes together in that nexus right there. It's really, it's really tough. Um, at a national level, there's a number of things that are happening and there's still more opportunity. Uh, the Lorna Breen Foundation actually got started because Lorna Breen, an ED physician, died by suicide early in the pandemic because she felt the risk of stigma if she admitted that she felt weak. And so instead she ended up taking her life. Um, her family, her sister and brother-in-law started the foundation and Corey Feist now heads that. He was Lauren's brother-in-law and they're working at the national level. They've gotten legislation passed through Congress and signed by the president to help address these issues. And they're doing more. If you wanna learn more about that, go to All In. Uh, for healthcare, uh, and you can Google search that and find us. There's tremendously good ideas there. Um, the National Academy of Medicine has done a lot of work on this. They've released a number of different reports and recommendations um, by searching National Academy of Medicine and burnout. You'll find tremendous um, resources there. The American Medical Association has put together a whole website full of great support called Steps Forward. And there's tremendous uh, resources across the board on all of these different drivers and, and treat, you know, ways to address burnout from an individual to a system level there. Is, do we need to do more? Absolutely. You know, when I mentioned civility early on, if we had a more civil society, society has become far more uncivil. And if society itself was more civil, that would help decrease the intensity of what's being experienced in EDs and not only in EDs nowadays. Um, my daughter uh, actually is a physician. She finished residency a couple of years ago, started in family medicine and left because 
what she was experiencing doing her OB rotation was so demoralizing. You know, she uh, over half of the patients that were born had a narcotic abstinence syndrome mm-hmm. as they um, were born. And it's something I never dealt with in my family medicine residency back in the early 80s that just didn't exist. You know, the world has changed so much that there's just so many challenges. Um, is national health, you know, would, it, would an, insurance certainly creates tons of problems. The prior authorization issues are huge. Um, but every, if you look at other countries, places that have a um, national health plan, you know, with a single payer, they experience burnout as well. There's different things driving it, but ultimately, almost in every country, every developed country, certainly, uh, burnout for physicians and for nurses is a major issue. So it's not just any one of the things we point at, um, but whatever system we're in, there's opportunities to make an improvement. Well, well, Dr. Deshant, this is so important. We are so grateful that that you are bringing this conversation to the forefront. Uh, we are just so grateful for you. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we have to bring the podcast to an end, but I know that I will get lots of feedback from our listeners about uh, uh, needing to hear more about this. So we hope that you'll be willing to maybe come back again in the future. Uh, we think this work that you're doing is just so important. And But on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, we just want to say a big, big thank you and that we're so incredibly grateful for you. So once again, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, I so appreciate the opportunity and I will definitely come back because there's a lot more to talk about and uh, I welcome that. Fantastic. We may have to do a two hour episode (laughs) or longer. Thank you so much.